Can you guess which games are going to fill out the rest of my top 10? My name's Jonathan, and this is the Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about games as they'd like to know. This week, we're going to conclude my top 10 games to recommend to players who have no idea what they're looking for at a board game cafe. Welcome back to the Snakes Cast, everyone. Thanks for coming back to part two of this inaugural top 10 list. Top 10 lists are weird. It's so hard to be able to justify the top 10 of anything is always going to be subjective. And one of the reasons why they make such wonderful clickbait is because you can argue about them afterwards. If you have games that work out really well for you in a huge array of different situations are really, really easy to teach, not just to game players, folks, but also to anyone, I'd like to hear about them. Tweet them back at me, tell me about them on our Facebook page. I'm very curious to find out which ones you tend to use the most. That applies to my fellow game gurus at the cafe as well, by the way, folks. All right, let's get down to it. Number five. One of the things that I've learned as a game guru at Snakes and Lattes is never to underestimate just how much fun grown-ups can have playing kids' games. Children's games have a wonderful way of disarming the intimidation factor that tends to come up with new games. Almost everybody who comes up looking for, we just want something fun, is almost certainly going to be terrified by the prospect of learning a new game. They want something fun usually means they want something that's not going to be all that challenging. They want something that they can master right away. They want something that's not going to be upsetting by how difficult it is to get started with. Now, it's true there are some grown-ups who take themselves seriously enough that kids' games aren't really going to be a viable option. But for everyone else, children's games are a great way to do this. And no kids' game has gotten more mileage from me than Chicken Cha-Cha-Cha. It's for two to four players. Obviously, that's a really useful thing. I tend to recommend it more for three groups of three or four, but it's not bad with two. It's got these awesome, chunky wooden chickens in it. It's for ages four and up. I always mention that it's for ages four and up, and that always makes people laugh and sets them at threes. Okay, well, I guess we can probably handle it then. Yep, you sure can. What you do is get a circle of eggs with little pictures on them. And these eggs have pictures of an egg sunny side up, or eggs in a nest, or an Easter bunny with an egg. And in the middle of the table, we've got a bunch of face-down tokens with the matching pictures for those. Everybody gets a big, chunky wooden chicken with a little wooden tail feather shoved into its back and puts it on the egg in front of them. And on your turn, you'll flip over one of the green things. And if it matches the picture on the egg in front of your chicken, your chicken moves ahead and you go again. If it doesn't match, your turn's over. As long as you keep hitting, as long as you keep getting matches, you can keep trying again and again. If you manage to jump over another player's chicken, you take all their tail feathers. They're not gone. They're still in the game. They're still playing. And in fact, if they jump over you, they're going to take everything back again. Game's over as soon as somebody has all the tail feathers, and that's our winner. It's so easy to get started with, and best of all, grown-ups wind up taking this game so seriously. I mean it. You want to get a group of fully grown people taking a game for four-year-olds really seriously, like hunched over the table, all intense and stuff. Chicken cha-cha-cha is perfect. And that sort of seriousness, the kind of mistakes that come out of it, tend to bring the sort of laughter that's exactly what people in that position are looking for. Number four. Obviously, Cards Against Humanity is a game that sees an awful lot of use at the cafe, and one thing that tends to happen a great deal is groups of two players taking a copy of Cards Against Humanity off the shelf over to their table and opening it up and 
realizing fairly quickly that no, this is not a game that works well with two players because it's a party game. That's just how it works. You need a big group or it simply cannot function. I guess you could play tag by yourself going, I'm it, I'm it, I'm it, I'm it. It's it's not really much of a game though. And the same thing goes with Cards Against Humanity, trying to play it with two players. I mean, obviously because I've spent so much time around people playing that game, I'm sick to death of it, just like almost everybody else who works at Snakes. But our patrons certainly haven't gotten sick of it, and plenty of couples wind up coming in wanting to play something like that. And obviously that's going to be a bit of a problem because uh, who did what game where you try to pick an answer from among a bunch of answers that were put in by the other players is not going to work too well when you've only got two people sitting at the table. Fortunately, there's Billionaire Banshee, a game with an awfully weird title that winds up working out pretty well with couples, especially people on dates. What you've got is two big decks of cards, and one of them is full of perks, and which are things that are ostensibly good about a person, and the other of which is full of quirks. These are things that we would think of as bad about a person. When it's your turn, you are going to draw two of these cards, and an imaginary person who is assumed to be of a gender who is attractive to you is going to ask you out on a date. This person has this good quality and this not-so-good quality. Read these things out to everybody, and you're secretly going to choose whether you will date this person or deny them. The other players will try and guess what your answer is going to be, we all reveal, and hopefully we get a good laugh out of it. Now, obviously, as a game, qua game, it's not going to work that well when you only have two people. Uh, when you have a larger group, then you can do the thing where if more than half the people guess the same thing that you guess, then you score a point, plus everybody who's right scores a point. It's sort of a Dixit or apples-to-apples-ish type of thing. But with two players, it's not really going to work as a game, but it is going to work as the kind of icebreaker that people who are going to take a copy of Cards Against Humanity to their table for two are actually looking for. That situation crops up so many times that it's really hard not to put Billionaire Banshee in my top ten. Here's the other thing that makes it work. The perks and the quirks are weird. Perks might be things like, it might be simple things like they don't snore, but they could also be really bizarre things like they have a giant robot. And the cards helpfully provide all the details about what the robot can do. And yes, they will let you pilot the robot. And no, you don't have to worry about maintaining it. Uh, and the quirks will also provide you with a fair bit in the way of detail. Like, okay, they're a cult leader. Their cult has about this many members and they believe themselves to be the Messiah. The fact that, the, that these perks and quirks are so weird is what gives the game its charm, and also what gets people laughing playing it. When people just want to look at silly cards and laugh, which really is kind of what they're after when they're playing cards against, this is one of the few things that I can give them that will actually work at a table for two. Number three. Social deduction games have become pretty huge. The idea of a game where you're trying to figure out who's on your team, and that's the challenge, is really popular. It tends to go over very, very well with medium-sized groups of about six players or so. And we have so many groups of that size, so often wanting something that's going to be a little bit different, but not too different, that having a social deduction game sort of in your back pocket that you can bring out to teach to a group like that is pretty much a necessity for anybody who is working in my position. There are an awful lot of social deduction games out there that can do that. There are games like The Resistance, or Bang the Dice Game, or, well, Werewolf, you don't really have enough players for it. One Night Werewolf, you could do a six. But I'll tell you, the one that I bring out more often than not is Good Cop, Bad Cop, and I'll tell you why. Uh, 
first time I played Good Cop, Bad Cop, I realized what had been missing for me from almost every social deduction game that I'd played before, and that is a wonderful little exceptions-based bit of game design. Good Cop, Bad Cop has a deck of equipment cards. Things like Truth Serum, or Bulletproof Vests, or canine unit or a taser or a defilibrator or a restraining order or a surveillance van there's a whole deck full of weird cards that can affect the game in all different ways and anytime you play you never know which ones are going to come out that bit of exceptions based design that subtle change that makes the game different every time you play it to me elevates good cop bad cop far above the other offerings in that genre and the other thing that tends to make it work really well the other thing it puts in the top 10 is the theme I mean, everybody can understand cop stories. There's plenty of people who don't like fantasy or don't like science fiction or are sort of put off by that sort of thing. Very few people are put off by the idea of honest cops and crooked cops in an all-out battle trying to kill the other team's leader. A lot of social deduction games also have the problem of putting the players early on in a position where they're not quite sure what to do. Good cop, bad cop fixes that because in the early game, the choice is simple. Investigate pick another player, have a look at one of their face-down cards, put it back. Feel free to tell the other players what you saw or not. Next player, have a look at somebody's cards. Everybody has three cards face-down in front of them. If most of your cards are red, you're a crooked cop. You're looking for the agent so you can kill her. If most of your cards are blue, you're an honest cop. You're on Team Honest, you're looking for the kingpin so you can kill him. Very basic goal. There are guns in the middle of the table, not enough for all the players, of course, which immediately creates some tension. It's so easy to get started with, and yet it's got so much wonderful nuance that appears not only in the way the leaders can hide their identities, not only in questions of, should I shoot now or should I point at somebody else so I can shoot them next turn, but also the wonderful, wonderful deck of equipment cards that make sure that no two games are going to play the same way. That's the social deduction game that I can't go without. Number two. You get a lot of groups of two to four players. You get a lot of groups of people who are looking for something that's got a little bit of screwage, but not too much. They want to be able to do mean things to each other, but they're probably not up for something that's really going to end friendships. They want something with enough hidden information that the best player isn't automatically going to win, but with a little bit of agency, a little bit of control over what they do. They want something that's going to be quick to start. It's going to take about 30 minutes. This is the sweet spot for the kind of game that I'm talking about. And perhaps the only game that hits all of these at once is Tiki Topple. 30-minute playtime? Check. Works for two to four players? Check. Hidden information? So I know stuff that you don't know and you know stuff that I don't know? Check. Simple card plays? Easy to easy teach? Check. Clear goals to achieve, so the game's not confusing, you're not left at sea unsure of what to do. Check, 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 check. It's perfect. Here's how Tiki Topple works. You've got a Tiki Tower, you don't actually stand it up, it's just a row of tokens that are set up on a board. Uh, from lowest to highest, nine of these things in nine different colors. Everybody has a goal card, which tells them which are their three favorite Tikis. Those are the ones you're trying to get as high up on the Tiki Tower as you can. And everybody gets a half a dozen cards, which can be used to move the Tikis around. On your turn, you play one of those. So maybe you play one that says Tiki up one. So you pick one of the Tikis, you move it up one. Or maybe you play one that says Tiki up two. Guess what that does? Maybe you play one that says Tiki up three. 
By this point in the teach, people are already comfortable with what's going on. There's a Tiki Topple card, which will send one of the Tikis down to the bottom, and two copies of a card called Tiki Toast, which takes whichever Tiki's on the bottom right now and gets rid of it. Out of the game. Gone. Goodbye. We just keep on taking turns playing cards until only three Tikis are left alive and everybody reveals the goal card they were holding. We'll see who scores points. You get points if your favorites are at or near the top. Easy as pie. And yet, if you watch the way the others play, if you watch to see which tikis they tend to be protecting, which ones they're trying to move up, that's the one you're going to play topple on. If you play your toasts early, you have more flexibility later on. These are very simple little strategic and tactical breakthroughs that even new players, who have no idea what modern games are like, can start to make within the first 10 or 15 minutes of, of starting Tiki Topple. And immediately, it makes them feel smart. It helps them to realize that, oh my goodness, I get to make choices that matter. I just did a clever thing, and my friends just saw me do it, and oh, oh now they're doing it to me. It's such a wonderfully accessible entry point into the idea of games where you get to make choices that actually make a difference. It's precisely the kind of thing that's needed for players who are terribly intimidated by that huge wall of games at the cafe, by players who take one look at Ticket to Ride and say, oh, nope, too much, too complicated, too long, can't do this. And if you've got friends or family who you just can't seem to break through to, who you can't seem to introduce new games to, bet you if you try Tiki Topple with them, they'll get it. They might not love it, but they will get it, and they will have a good time with it. Now, before we move on to my number one favorite introductory game, I'd like to take a moment for some honorable mentions. Now, I did say that Tiki Topple is kind of the perfect game to introduce people to because of its ease of entry and accessibility, but another one that I tend to use a lot is Vegas, and it goes up to five players. That's the one where there's six casinos down the middle of the table, and each of them has $50,000 that you can win. The reason why it doesn't get a spot in my top 10 is because if I try to actually explain the game, people's eyes tend to glaze over. In order to get Vegas actually playing, I can't explain it in advance. What I have to do is simply set things up, deal out the money, and usually once the money's on the table, people are interested. I know it's kind of crass and cynical, but that's the way it is. And once people start rolling dice and actually playing it, they're fine. It's just that it's hard to convince people that it's one that's good to actually play. Ink and Gold is another one that is is almost indispensable. I mean, the idea of a press-your-luck game, a game where you can get greedy, you can stay in as long as you want, but if you stay in too long, you wind up getting nothing. But if you chicken out too soon, then you wind up getting less than the players who are braver than you. The fact that it goes up to eight players is also a big deal, and if I had a top 11, Ink and Gold would be on that list. No Thanks is another one that I tend to bring out a fair amount particularly for people who are used to playing games like Euchre, Rummy, you know, traditional card games. No Thanks is a fair bit simpler than those, but it does have a similar sort of appeal to it, and it's very easy to get people started with it. All right, it's time, folks. Number one. For the most part, I've steered clear in this list of games that really offer much in the way of challenge but my number one favorite game to introduce to new players is the one that actually does introduce that element. Not only challenge, but novelty. When you tell people who haven't played a game since Monopoly that there is such a thing as a cooperative game, a game where everybody's on the same team, you're all working together, either you all win or you all lose, they will, more often than not, be enthralled by the idea. And they'll be very excited by the idea of trying one. 
Now, Pandemic obviously is the most popular one, and it might be an easy teach for veteran game players, but it's a hard teach for players who are new to this sort of thing. Castle Panic? A bit too simple, plus a lot of people are turned off by the fantasy theme. Hanabi? Popular, and for good reason. It's got that traditional card-playing sort of thing going for it, but it also tends to be intimidating because there's so much to come to grips with that's different. No, the cooperative game that I bring out that introduces new people to this sort of game is Forbidden Island. Forbidden Island is often referred to as Pandemic Light, and for good reason. It's a faster, simpler game with a lot of the same mechanics. The players are treasure hunters, they're working together to find and capture these four fabulous artifacts on this island, but the problem is the island itself is sinking very rapidly into the depths of the ocean, which A, provides a hazard the players have to worry about, if anybody drowns, everyone loses, and B, means you only have so many turns before the island's completely gone and you'll never see these treasures again. The concept of hunting treasure is something that a lot of people can get behind, especially if they have just a little bit of adventurousness, and they're willing to try a game that actually has a story, a plot behind it. The fact that the players are going to be working together does an awful lot to disarm the fear that tends to arise from playing a game where they might play badly, because everyone else who sat at the table with them is going to be on their side. And those cute, chunky pieces that they use for the treasures, and the big, colorful tiles, also make it warm and inviting, and relatively easy to get started with. In Pandemic, it's not necessarily all that clear what you want to do right away. In Forbidden Island, shore up those flooded tiles. Get started on that right now, and afterwards start to see what cards people are drawing so you can use those to gather the treasures. Forbidden Island has a longer teach than any of the other games in this top 10 list, and as a result, it's a bit harder to get started with. But, more so than any of those others, Forbidden Island draws people in. It creates an immersive experience, unlike anything the players who've been stuck playing Monopoly and Risk for most of their lives, can really even imagine. More than any other truly accessible game, it brings people into the idea of traveling to an imaginary world and having an adventure. And that makes it my number one game for introducing to new players. Not just for the game itself, but for the look in their eyes as they begin to realize that games can be this. That's it for this week. And what do you think of this whole top 10 list thing? Should we do it again? Let me know on Twitter at SnakesCast or on our Facebook page. If there's a particular top 10 list you'd be interested in hearing, I'd like to know about it. The SnakesCast is produced by P.T. Douglas. Music is provided by Ben Sound. The opinions expressed on the show, this week at least, were entirely mine and had nothing to do with those of my illustrious employer. Until next time, thanks for listening. Game on. <laughs>